Please be seated. So 25 years ago, I lost my faith. And I can't remember a particular moment when it happened, but it was as if at one point, the sun was shining and I was enjoying the day. And then suddenly I realized that it was night and that it had been for quite some time. And as a pastor's kid, I'd been around church my entire life. I was quite fervent in my faith in my younger years. I had a passion for evangelism, spending hours in prayer and studying the Bible. Um, I went on missions trips to other countries in order to share the love of God. And now I couldn't feel God's love for me. I couldn't feel God's presence. And prayer, which had once been so precious to me, felt useless and pointless, like I was talking to myself. You know, as if the prayers that I were praying was, were hitting the ceiling and just falling back to the ground. What made it particularly awkward for me is that I was in seminary at the time, surrounded and immersed by God stuff, like theology and scripture and Greek and Hebrew and homiletics and pastoral counseling, being trained to help others grow in their faith. It would be a little like going to medical school and then suddenly realizing that you don't believe in science anymore. It was as if God had left the building and I was alone, sitting in the darkness, just hanging by a thread which felt like a hair that might snap at any moment. I wonder if any of you have had moments like this or just seasons like that in your life. You know, maybe you're in one right now. Where is God? Subjectively, I cannot feel God's presence. Objectively, I look around at a world where people fly planes into buildings. I look around and I see a world where families fall apart, where loved ones get cancer, where innocent people get shot by police. That age-old question of how a loving and powerful God can allow terrible things to happen. It's not just this intellectual, philosophical point of debate. It's deeply, deeply personal. So Tish Warren, in her book, Prayer in the Night, shares about the aftermath of suffering a miscarriage only a few months after her father suddenly died. And she puts it this way. Could I believe that God cares about me when he doesn't stop bad things from happening? Could I trust him when I'm terrified that he will let me or those I love hurt? When I look across the, immensive, the immense collective sadness of the world, can I still know God as kind or loving? Is anyone looking out for us? God, are you there? When I look back on that time of my life to this day, honestly, I don't know why I didn't just walk away. I, I have no idea why, because I wanted to. I considered maybe another faith, maybe no faith. 
And maybe it was just that I lacked the courage to do so because my life was just like too all in to the Christian thing at that point. But I don't think so. Something bigger than me, larger than me, and how I felt in that moment, something even beyond my control was at play. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore will I call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me, the pangs of shield laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord, O Lord, save my life. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I walk before the Lord in the land of the living. Have you ever thought about how remarkable the book of Psalms is? So the Psalms was a songbook and the prayer book of the people of Israel. It was two, the two sort of combined into one. And the people of God throughout ages have always been praying these Psalms for centuries. We always include one and usually two um, in our services. And the Psalms include everything from ecstatic joy and celebration to expressions of trust and hope to tears and depression to request that God would break the teeth of our enemies and dash their heads against rocks. Anybody ever feel that way sometimes? You know, and often Psalms end or conclude with a, a hopeful note, but the Psalms also include Psalm 88. This is how it ends. Why, O Lord, do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I am in despair. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have battered me completely. You have distanced my loved one and my friend from me. And this is the last line. My only friend is darkness. Imagine Joey leading us in a song called, My Only Friend is Darkness. And yet it's there. You know, the Psalms hold this full range of human experience. And what they do is they bring all of that into the presence of God. They don't sweep the hard things under the rug or pretend like everything's okay, but rather they look straight into the heart of darkness. And whether that's the darkness of our world or the darkness of our own hearts, they look straight into the darkness and do not flinch. And they give voice to our doubts and our fears and our sadness and our anguish and our anger, and they hold it all. And instead of calling it losing your faith, they call it prayer. They call it worship. The Psalms, as part of the liturgy and the prayer of the church, they hold us, all of us, the good, the bad, and the ugly. So yesterday I was out at Hudson um, in Hudson Park and I was sitting on the grass and there was this little girl in front of me and I saw her fall on the pavement and just burst into tears just screaming and crying at the top of her lungs and then her mother came rushing over to her and she just held her just held her tightly 
And when I look back on those dark days of seminary, when I felt like I was alone and abandoned by God, I realized now that I couldn't walk away because I was being held. I was being held by God. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my supplications. He saved me. And it's something that I couldn't see at the time and which I can now only see in hindsight. And there were many moments during that dark season where it just felt like I was just going through the motions, just saying the words. At the time, it felt fake, like I was not being real. And yet now I see that it was a grace. It was a grace. I remember that the Bible became really precious to me during that time because it was literally the only like physical, tangible thing I could put my hands on that would connect me to God. You know, for sure, most of the times the words just felt so dry on the page, but those words and prayers kept me. They held me. There's this phrase um, in the church, lex orandi, lex credendi. And what it means is the law of prayer is the law of belief. And sometimes we say the prayers and we say those words dry as they feel, but we allow the prayers of the church and the faith of the church to hold us. That's the gift of the liturgy the gift of the church, that it's bigger than just me and this moment in time and what I'm going through. The prayers of the church have held wars and plagues and political upheaval and personal loss and heartbreak for centuries. Part of this story and grounded in this reality that is so much bigger and longer and deeper and moving towards something so much more hopeful and joyful and glorious than we can ever imagine. Who do people say that I am? Jesus asks his disciples, and they respond, John the Baptist, Elijah, one of the prophets. And then he asks them, but who do you say that I am? Like, not the crowds, not the teachers of the law, not my family, not my priest, but you who have been with me all this time. Who do you say that I am? What would you say? Peter responds, you are the Christ. And in other gospels, he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And when he proclaimed that, He was placing Jesus at the center of this larger story of a God who always rescues. When people ask me some form of that question, you know, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? I never try to answer that question because there is no sort of rational intellectual answer. Like Christianity's response has never been this like complex, deeply satisfying theological explanation to that question. Christianity's response has always been a person, as some say, God with skin on, the one 
at the heart of this story, the one who, as he told his disciples, would undergo great suffering and be rejected and killed. The one who entered our vulnerability and our pain, who knows what it's like to be on his hands and knees with tears streaming down his face, begging God for deliverance and crying out words of a prayer that weren't even his own, but had been woven into his soul after praying them year after year from his people's songbook. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And into your hands, I commend my spirit, surrendering himself to love for love. Held by God. We are held in order to hold, just as Jesus was on the cross. You know, it doesn't end with us and with our pain. Jesus told his disciples that he would be killed, but in three days that he would rise again. And he did. And the disciples couldn't believe their eyes. They had to touch him. They had to touch his wounds and put their hand on his side. And in a world of darkness where people ask, where is God? They need to see God with skin on. A God who has wounds. A God who knows our pain because he himself plunged into that darkness out of love to rescue us. In her opinion column yesterday in the Wall Street Journal, Peggy Noonan told a story of Wells Crowther. And she writes, he was a young guy, 24, just starting out, worked as a junior associate at an investment bank on the 104th floor of the South Tower in the World Trade Center. He always carried in his back pocket a red bandana and they teased him. What are you, a farmer? And he'd laugh and show bravado and say, with this bandana, I'm gonna change the world. And that day, as the world exploded, he did. He led people to safety, carried them down to lower floors. He kept going back for more. To protect from the smoke, he put the bandana over his face. He never came home from the towers that day or the day after. His parents were anguished, hoping against hope. One day, Memorial Weekend 2002, the New York Times had a story about the last minutes in the towers, and they mentioned survivors who spoke of a man in a red bandana who'd saved them. When the family opened his apartment, they found an unfinished application to become a New York City fireman. Noonan writes, there's a big unseen current of love that hums through the world. And some plug into it more than others, more deeply and surely. A big unseen current of love that hums through the world, even when that world is dark and scary and hurts. Held by love so that we can hold others in love. This week at our staff meeting, um, as we were talking about this passage, 
Um, Leisha was saying that it reminded her um, of a song that Martha and Joey are going to close um, close us with. And just as I invite her to come up here to introduce the song, just invite you to bring um, your own heart and what it is that you're carrying um, as we end in prayer with this song. As Christine shared, um, we were in this staff worship planning meeting and um, the song came to mind. Um, the psalmist says that their feet were kept from stumbling. They said that when they suffered distress, the Lord heard their cry. The psalmist's confidence um, rang true in my ears and that confidence is rooted, rooted and grounded in their experience of a God who is present to our sufferings. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because, because my world was crumbling, the world as I knew it was cracking open and he heard. This is a God who sees and knows and sits with us, offering peace and nudging our souls. In spite of our sufferings and alongside our joys to a place of rest. So Martha is going to sing this song. Um, many people have heard this song sung by Whitney Houston. I believe she's probably made it most popular, but it's written by Richard Smallwood and we're offering it to you today as a space for reflection. And as Christine reminded us, um, this space where God holds us, holds all things together. Um, sit in stillness, sit and share your story, sit in communion with God. Amen. Oh, uh -huh. 